and just and just you know looking at what an actual entity is well actual entity is not this thing the actual entity is always in motion well so is hip-hop identity so is the understanding of hip-hop in its inception you know we're we're not just this or that in hip-hop this is that and so and so the, this whole notion of uh, perpetual perishing I mean, there's several things that really come up, you know, I mean, you know, what, what I, I like to call hip hop, a nexus of social order, a society of sorts, like arts and whitehead would say, you know, how hip hop as a category doesn't synthesize everything, anything, it, it allows tension to be. So all of these things, I'm like, this, this is hip hop. You're listening to the Theo Poetics Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Burnett, and my conversation today is with John Ivan Gill. John is currently a lecturer in English at Pomona College and a lecturer at Cal State University Dominguez Hills, Norco College, and Claremont School of Theology, teaching philosophy, religious studies, and theology. He's written multiple academic articles on topics from Afrofuturism to post-structuralism, creative writing, and beyond. He's also a hip-hop musician and rapper performing under the name Gilead Seven, a part of a rap collective called Tomorrow Kings and co-owner of Serious Cartoons Records and Tapes in San Bernardino, California. In this episode, John and I discuss underground rap as a process aesthetic religion. We talk about how John creatively entangles his hip-hop experience with his philosophical and theological lenses, the ways in which the underground hip-hop scene operates as a creative communal expression of identity, and how he has come to embody the theopoetic dynamics of underground hip-hop as an author, religious scholar, and rapper himself. Hey, I've got a quick announcement as this is our second-to-last episode in Season 1. ARC is once again hosting its Theopoetics Conference, and this year it's in Chicago from March 20th through the 21st. The conference is an event for artists, activists, and people of faith to come together to discuss the ways creative and spiritual practices can come together in the work for a more just world. More information is available at theopoeticsconference.org, and listeners of the podcast can actually use the code APOETICSOF for 10% off your registration costs. Check that out, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Theopoetics Podcast. Uh, I've got a special guest with me today. John Ivan Gill is here. Uh, John is a lecturer in philosophy uh, at Cal State Dominguez Hills, um, as well as an adjunct prof at Norco College and Claremont School of Theology. He's also the author of a brand new uh, book called Underground Rap as Religion, a Theopoetic Examination of a Process Aesthetic Religion. So, John, thanks for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Really, really glad to be here. Likewise, I'm stoked. It's not it's not that often I get to talk to people on the Theopoetics podcast who have the word Theopoetic in their book title. So uh, I'm stoked and uh, I'm glad <laughs> to jump into this. Uh, but, you know, I always like cool. to start off these conversations by asking our guests uh, what has formed them, who they are, like what brings them to this Theopoetic task. And uh, yeah, just let us know a little bit about who you are as we enter into this conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, originally from the south side of Chicago, I now reside in Southern California. Um, 
But some things that, that have formed me, um, I grew up charismatic Pentecostal in my uncle's church. And from an early age, I was always told things about God that a philosophical mind began to question, you know, um, and, and this comes from after di discovering my mother's philosophy text from college. Um, she wasn't a philosophy major, but she took philosophy classes. And I mean, I, I, I run, she even had some Paul Tillich in her collection. So, oh, wow. so, so, I mean, she had to look, yeah. And I was like, damn, mom, mom was kind of on it, you know, but, but, um, but there were some questions I asked about the construction of God that I was given. And those questions usually were questions that got me sent away. So, you know, John, just shut up, you know. But, um, but um, I tried to swallow the whole notions of Christianity I was given. And this is the long side of me opening my mind to different forms of art, different forms of spirituality from Mormonism to the occult. I would go to the library and I'd begin to read a lot of things and I'd begin to just look at the world in some ways. So that and listening to Jim Morrison, um, it kind of put me in the <laughs> mindset to begin to challenge Pentecostalism. Like, um, of course, because that's what Jim makes you do. Like, but, um, so in spite of all that, I began to swallow a lot and try to keep the tradition that my parents wanted to instruct me in. I would say my mom in one way. My mom was kind of a mystic type of Christian. My father was more on the practical side of Christianity. So, but they both led to a sort of um, conservative direction. And so I swallowed that for a while. I wanted to be a pastor at one point, um, went to undergrad, took up biblical studies and began to kind of break apart some things. And then I began to say, okay, well, some things I thought about as a kid are kind of confirmed by my, by my, by my biblical studies professors about this whole literalism thing. Um, then I began to expand further, went to the seminary, and um, I began to get into hip-hop heavily when I was about 15, 16 years old. You know, I, I was into it. I began listening to rap music when I was about eight or nine, and I took a break, went into, went into, went into the classic rock, wanted to be a guitarist. Um, then I... then. I turned, I had a turn to hip hop once again after I heard a few records, one being a record from this group called Tunnel Rats. And they did a record called Experience. Now, Tunnel Rats was on the Christian and rap side of things. Okay. And, but they were different because a lot of Christian rappers at that time were proselytizing, but not Tunnel Rats. Their, their first record, the, the, the first track on their record is called Execution. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I want to say they use like, like a Michael Myers sample for the beat. And they're, they're while all, every other Christian rapper who, who are many from evangelical backgrounds were talking about come to Jesus, their first track is like, look, we'll battle anybody, we'll destroy them, we're lyrically better. And <laughs> yeah. that just blew my mind. And I mean, and just the wordplay was amazing. And then that kind of opened me up to a lot of different 90s rappers who were doing things, who, 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 who were contemporaries of theirs outside of the church. Yeah. And so that's when I began to really fall in love with hip hop as a way of seeing the world. And, you know, because they, because Tonal Raps was able to do, were able to do both, to be true to the art, but still held some sort of faith commitment. And neither one canceled out the other. So that's kind of where I began to think about some things differently. 
And as I kept going, I began, and this is just to make a long story short, because we can talk more about the SB dialogue. But I began to realize after about 10 years of being into hip hop, that that was my religion, not Christianity. And so this is what kind of began to make sense of the world to me. And then I, and then at one point I finally began to admit that I probably was somewhere in grad school. I'm like, Oh, I'm not a Christian at all. I'm really a hip hopper who has found ways to use Christian language to hide that. But now I don't have to. So, so, and this is, and, and this is all alongside of me being eventually becoming a rapper as well and just doing different releases and, and going on tours and putting out records with indie labels. So living the indie life while in grad school thinking about God, I came to the conclusion that, look, Christianity for me is not where it's at, not dissing that, because yeah. several things lead you to where you are. And that's what it was. But yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell this book is both a reflection of my work as a scholar of religious traditions and philosophy, religion and process philosophy and theology in particular, and my work as an artist. So the book comes from both of those streams of thought. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's great because I think when people think of religion, they probably put a capital R in front of it and think of, you know, the world religions, you know, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, you know, Islam and et cetera. But, but to propose something as audacious to, to maybe more traditionalists, uh, such as uh, hip hop is a religion. And then to go to the depths of doing some philosophical metaphysical uh, aesthetic reflection on that is really is really awesome because it oh I think for for me when I was reading your book it just sort of cracked open the definition of religion you know and and uh, again you you could read like a an eight views book on religion or something like that but it you know I think what you're doing in this theopoetic examination is sort of opening us up to a much wider conversation so. I wonder if for a moment you could introduce us to that idea of hip hop as a religion, especially as you call it an aesthetic religion, and give us uh, just a feel for what you mean by that Mm -hmm. and how that functions for you as a scholar and as a hip hopper. Great question. Great question. And actually, actually, I like the way you phrase that. That that just I I, I think that I think that it's important. Um, Yeah. Well, this whole notion of hip hop as a religion is in particular for me, underground hip hop as a religion um, is because I just, I want to preface it by saying this, um, a lot of great work that's been done on hip hop religion for the past 20 years, kind of abstractly and kind of the the past 10 to 12 um, directly um, looking at the work of Monica Miller, Christopher Driscoll, Daniel White Hodge, um, and people like that who've done specific work on hip hop and religion. A lot of the conversation, the great conversation, I purpose that out again, has been around notions of rap and notions and, and rap for many people being synonymous with hip hop is something that we kind of get when we look at mainstream understandings of hip hop. Right. Um, so, and a lot, of, a lot of great work has been done on that, but my work kind of again flows from my living the life of underground hip hop, which composes, which really revolves around four elements, graffiti, DJing, 
b-boying, b-girling, some people call it breakdancing. That, 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 that's what the media called it. We called it b-girling, b-boying, and rapping. Rapping actually is historically the, 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 the last element of hip-hop to be created, historically. Right. So underground hip-hop, in many ways, it functions around these particular elements as being ways to understand in the world. There is no hip-hop without graffiti, breakdancing, DJing. You know, and also what KRS would say and others would say, Bambada, et cetera. The fifth element, knowledge and understanding. So these are ways in which an impoverished people in New York redefine their humanity. So if I'm looking at the word religion, I mean, etymologically, of course, we know it means to bind, it means to practice again, things like that. Yeah. If I look at it, so, and I think Brent, Brent Nongren, his book Before Religion, does a really, really great job of looking at how what we think of as the world religions are really colonization. And, and the, even the name we even use to talk about what we know is religion are Western categories. So I think that, that hip-hop and other forms of aesthetic exp- expressions that can cause us, to, that cause us to reorient ourselves to what meaning is in the world in ways to subvert that colonialism. And I think hip-hop's a great example of that. I always say this, spray cans were not meant to, to, write, to, to write graffiti on walls. We took them and, 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 and we did that with them. Turntables weren't made to be scratching, flipping records around. But we took that and we redefined our humanity. And that, for me, is a very religious activity because what does religion do? It causes us to redefine who, who we are in the world. And so, so, and so for me, this is a very sacred thing. That, and that, and that cannot, cannot include an idea of God. In some ways, I think it does include several ideas of God. But for me, that's how hip-hop is an aesthetic religion, which for me, aesthetic religion is something that's the, a, a, word, a term that Schleiermacher uses but doesn't really develop. Um, but for me, when I say aesthetic religion, I mean any school of, any, any work of art or school of thought that opens one to meaning-making and making sense of, of the world. So I think that there's several things that, are, that do that. Rock does that. Um, sculpturing does that. Painting does that. So I'm looking at hip hop as a theopoetic example of this type of aesthetic religion. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I I hear like two elements coming out in your description of the function of religion. I I mean, one of the elements that you're drawing out as a contrast to the colonizing form of Western religion is this liberative element that, that an aesthetic religion is supposed to you know, especially if you're an oppressed people, it's supposed to bring you out and to give you life uh, and vitality mm-hmm. and flow like you talk about in the book. And then mm-hmm. the other side of that is this uh, subversive element that you can subvert the powers that be and reclaim your own creativity, recre- re- reclaim your own beauty and your power. Um, and I, I think that that's just, you know, a really wonderful definition of, of religion. And I'm wondering for you and your experience uh, coming out of Christianity, perhaps, and then being exposed to this underground hip hop or underground rap culture, uh, like what for you was it that, that started to enliven you in ways that the, the religion you were handed in your youth wasn't? And, and sort of so like what what started to spark in you as you as you got into that uh, 
that religion of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know, and, and see, I'm going to start back to go forward because as a, you know, I want to say that hip hop was always there. You know, I mean, I grew up in the south side of Chicago, you know, from at the age of three, I remember or four, I, I remember seeing people with on the with with cardboard boxes break dancing on streets. I, I remember I remember graffiti being around me, all of this stuff. But I didn't really, but it and and I knew it was something special about it, but it didn't hit me till a certain time. And it so all of these things came together when I encountered tunnel rats and Wu Tang. You know, both of these things came and see, especially, and this is why I bring tunnel rats up because because they did a lot of work and they and and for evangelicals who were taught that well hip hop rap in particular is simply a vehicle for the gospel tunnel rats said no this is a culture and 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 and, and as a christian you have no right to impose some sort of doctrine on this culture and so they they taught evangelicals what it was and i learned from that and and theologically I wind up going to places they didn't intend, but 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 what was most important about it was this empowering aspect, you know, this and this this aspect of well, you know, the world is not what it is. The world is to be created, and and then Wu Tang came on the back end with their five percent nation of Islam um, di- uh, um, dialogue for me. And said, well, as a person of Afro-diasporic descent, the Christianity you've been given is very oppressive. And not Christianity itself, but the Christianity, because as we know, Christianity is North African and Middle Eastern in origin. But how it came to us, my people, is very, very, was was in a very oppressive fashion. And Killer Priest, a Wu-Tang member who was a Hebrew Israelite, has a record called Heavy Mental. And two things my cousin did for my, my, my cousin never, shout out to her if she's listening, shout out to you, impacted me. The, now for one of my birthdays, there were two gifts she gave. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill and Killer Priest, Heavy Mental, both of those records changed me. In particular, Killer Priest, um, Hebrew Israel articulation of the Bible, which was one that spoke to me and my ancestors. And so using hip hop as a vehicle to do that even got me past that and said, okay, well, I don't even need this covering of a sort of traditional faith perspective that hip hop is giving me. Hip hop itself is enough because hip hop itself gives me the mechanism of empowerment to critique where I am in the world and not just to critique it, to be a poet of the world. So hip hop enabled me to be a poet of the world and not just words. I mean, as far as far, uh, I would say, as poets, this is really about creativity. So any element of hip hop gives me the gives me the ability to be a god or a goddess or whatever whatever pronoun or whatever you want to attach to that gender or non gender that doesn't really matter. Um, but hip hop enables me to create my world. So I thought that was powerful. I see breakdancers do it. I see graffiti artists do it. I see us creating next universe, like I mentioned in the tech. There's a most deaf song called Next Universe. And, and that title was so profound because as hip hoppers, that's what we do. We create worlds. 
I didn't see evangelical Christianity giving me the ability to, to create worlds. I saw it giving me a world to exist within, a world that's very problematic, that was very patriarchal, very sexist, very homophobic, very monotheistic. So hip hop allowed me to create a world, and that's what I think is very, that, that's what I think won me over as a creative person. Yeah, and I can see how, you know, how as you were won over by that, that experience of hip hop, when you started to study philosophy in, you know, in new ways and encounter process thought how there could be a deep resonance with, with that. So I'm curious for you too, like in your own theological and philosophical journey, like I, I did read in your book a little bit how you talk about being exposed to it, you know, in, in one school and then coming to study with Dr. Coleman and, and things like that. But, but I'm curious for you, what, what light bulb started to go off as you were theorizing about the, your own experience um, mm -hmm. uh, of it and starting to connect it with these process ideas? Like what excited mm -hmm. you about that? And, and could you unpack a little bit about what that means to you as somebody who says that this is a process aesthetic religion? Yes, sure, sure. And this is always a fun question. People are like, how, how the hell did you get process and whitehead from hip hop? So, so this is always <laughs> a fun thing to talk about. And for me, it just, it just, it just makes sense. But, 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 but here's the way it made, here's the way I came to it. In the book, I, I say like, I, I entered a process class that was taught by Alex Visho. He, I don't think he's at CST anymore, well, at CTS, Chicago Theological Center. I don't, I don't think he's there anymore. But I'm like, it looked into, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But I got in there and, I, and, and then it was basically a, a tour de force through Whitehead, through Hardstone. And we started reading Process and Reality, Adventures of Idea, and National Theology for Our Time, The Divine Relativity. And, and I'm sitting there the whole time, like, this, this shit is dope. This shit is super dope. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm like, this resonates with how I see the world. I didn't quite get it. But then I took another class with Dr. Coleman, who was at LSTC at the time, and of course, it was just something called Process Theology. And, and if anybody knows Dr. Coleman, you know Dr. Coleman, you know, you're going to have to read a bunch of texts. And it's going to be, it's not going to be nothing easy, because every, every week you're reading like two, three books. Which is which, and, and, and we're so much better for it. But, right. and I began to think the whole time like, what Whitehead is, is talking about, what Hartson is getting at, what Keller is getting at, what, um, what uh, Sandra Lubarsky is getting at, what Theodore Work is getting at is hip hop. This is the, this, sort of, this sort of multiplicity, this sort of disbelief in things, this, this whole understanding of the world is always in motion which kind of encompasses everything from identity to creativity. This is all hip hop. So it just made, and I said, this is really interesting. And I really was persuaded by how Whitehead and Process and Reality and Versus of Ideas and Mode of Thought talks about these ideas of process. Um, and so I said, this, and, and so I said, so I said, well, hip hop is a speculative philosophy of sorts. And it, it, it all made sense in that, in that way. So to talk about hip hop and process to me was a no brainer at that point, you know, and some would say, okay, well, well, Whitehead is, comes from a European tradition. Of course, there's parliament. And, and my thing is sure. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, for me, a good idea is a good idea. 
So while I abandoned Whitehead social Darwinism, I abandoned some things that were questionably said in terms of the way he looked at non-European traditions. There are also some great things he did as well, because he also says in, at the beginning of Parts of Reality, if you really want to understand what I'm doing, you got to get, you got to understand Eastern thought, you know, and, and he's very, he plays with this all the time. And so, and just, and just, you know, looking at what an actual entity is, what actual entity is not this thing, actual entity is always in motion. Well, so is hip hop identity. So is the understanding of hip hop in its inception. You know, we're, we're not just this or that. In hip hop, this is that. And so, and so th- this whole notion of a uh, perpetual perishing, I mean, there's several things that really come up, you know, I mean, you know, what, what I, I like to call hip hop, a nexus of social order, a society of sorts, like Artson and Whitehead would say, you know, how hip hop as a category doesn't synthesize everything, anything, it, it allows tension to be. So all of these things are like, this, this is hip hop. This is, this is, this is, this was my conversion experience, and I talk about my conversion experience, or one of them in the book. When I when I'm in Northeastern University, you know, we go in that we go in that place. We see all these things happening: graffiti, DJing, breaking, MCing, community, knowledge. All these things for me were processed, and so I said, "This is a cool way to talk about it," and this is a, a way that maybe people who don't know anything about hip hop might get. So it made sense for me to do it in that way. Yeah, I mean, when I read your narrative about that in the book, I recognized so much of my own coming to process as well, which was, I think AI was the first book that I read, Adventures of Ideas, uh, you know, and especially the the last, you know, sections on value, you know, when he starts going into truth and beauty and adventure and art and, uh, and I'm like, right, I'm like, damn, you know, like this, this stuff, yeah. like, and I'm somebody who just has been sort of, I, I would say, like, from a young age, just aesthetically wired, a musician, poet, I was an English major, just like drawn to that, you know. And nice. when I started hearing the resonance in his language, I was like, this stuff, you know, makes sense with creativity, you know. And, and when I hear yeah. you talk about, you know, the, the more philosophical element of, of, you know, unpacking hip hop from this lens of creativity, I'm like, yes, you know, yes, this, this is, this is it. And, and so, but I also hear, I mean, I want to, I, we could explore process for another, you know, few hours, I'm sure if we wanted to, but, <laughs> right. but I'm, I'm a little I think I'm more interested even in, you know, that experience that you talked about and, and, you know, heading into that experience where there was graffiti and, you know, b-boy and b-girl and like DJing, and, and, you know, emceeing and like, and, and that, that what was happening there, I love that you even named earlier in the conversation that there's a fifth element. that's this sort of knowledge. And that, and I think that many of us, you know, have been so Westernized in our understanding of how we come to know things, our epistemology, you know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. for many of us, it's through academia, or, you know, we can get nerdy about Whitehead more if we want, but, but there's also right. this, this, you know, gut sort of like communal uh, expression of knowledge too that that I think, you know, is not only resonant with process, but is, is just deeply meaningful when it comes to the, the very nature of something like religion. So, um, mm-hmm. so 
one of the things I, I love that you did with that in the book was that you started to, I mean, you did it multiple times. You contrasted underground hip hop, kind of like that experience you had with sort of mainstream hip hop and uh, commercial hip hop. So could you for a moment talk about that, that contrast between how you, you know, dove into uh, this underground scene and and then as you started to study uh, you know you know hip-hop and religion a- academically how you how you saw that that contrast playing out with with scholars even who were talking more about um, you know commercial hip-hop and, and the difference between the two yeah 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 great question and like like um, even a start this one um, is really it's really important that you mentioned um, this whole notion of beauty the way it talks about it AI because that, in many ways, grounds my understanding of underground hip hop. You know, Whitehead says, "Well, the world, the universe pushes toward beauty." You know, and and, and this is, and, and you know, not to get too far into that, but 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 yeah, this is kind of how I because because for me, and I'm going back to and I'm going back to I'm going back to go forward once again. Um, the underground of Chicago hip hop was always there. And it was always under your nose, but you have to, but you have to know what to look for to find it. Um, now, now, shout out to East C. Illa, who was one of um, the first Chicago rappers to get covered by magazines like The Source and Rap Pages. Like he has, he's a legendary MC. But you would see his stickers all over the city. Um, he had, I'd had a record called Power Moves out. Um, and you would see those stickers all over the city. Now, if you didn't know anything about the underground, you wouldn't know what those were. I did. I'm passing Randy every day on the on the, on the train. Oh, what the fuck is power move? I don't know what that shit is. Like, you know, it looked cool, but but then as I as I begin to enter into the, this community, the, the, the tunnel rats told me about. They they have a song that I mentioned in the book. I'm talking about a place called hip hop. I've never seen you in that place called hip hop. The lies you speak need to stop to perpetrate us. But there was there was there was a place a non tangible place that they that if you know where it is you can find it because it's really everywhere. So so you know after I, after I'm being exposed to this really underground element of hip hop, which really in origin which really is the origins of hip hop that get lost when rap begins to take commercial dominance and other 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 elements get left behind. When you begin to get in tune with that, you begin to find something different. Now, there was a record store called Dr. Wax, which was in Hyde Park, the Hyde Park area of Chicago. Ironically enough, it's right by the Axe Consortium of Seminaries. It's right there, you know. And, and I went to McCormick, um, and I and but I was going to Dr. Wax before I before I even knew what what uh, McCormick was. But but um, but yeah, but, but so at Dr. Wax. You, you could find out what's happening in this underground world. And that's where I began to really get exposed to what was happening in Chicago. There were also websites. There were also college radio. So all of these things, I said, man, this was right in front of me. I didn't even know it. And so then when you begin to get a tune to that, you begin to see there are different things happening than are happening on the quote-unquote surface. Now, in terms of rap, you can buy the same underground rap records next to your commercial rap records, but they're talked about differently. They're marketed differently. You know, different, different people look for them. Um, but the differences I notice, and now this is not 
this is not um, an end-all, be-all difference. But the but differences I've noticed in my own life is that, well, underground hip-hop, there are four things that happen. Um, and I talk about this in, the, in uh, the book as well. First of all, um, the elements are always together. There, like, like, there is no hip hop without the without without the elements. So, if you have one without the other, you know, then that's something that's something that you, you typically don't see in the underground. The second thing, um, there's this there's this notion of creativity that sometimes is 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 stifled in commercial rap. Okay, well, the label says you have to do this that in order for your records to sell. Now, don't get it twisted. Um, not you per se, but I mean, you know, anybody, but, um, but listeners, um, there is, there is a capitalism in underground hip hop from graffiti to emceeing, but there's a, there's a difference I notice. Um, a lot of underground hip hop labels, if they pick you up, they're more concerned. They're not concerned. They're not, they're not, they're not telling you what to write. They're picking you up because they, 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 they believe in what you've already done and what you can do. So there's there's creative freedom in terms of of the rap world, and I think this is true of graffiti, DJing, and, and um, b-girling and b-boying as well. You know, uh, the commodity, the 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 um the format is not telling you we'll do this or that; it's telling you whatever you do. That's the second thing. The third thing is. There is this notion of Afro-normativity that comes out in a lot of strands of commercial hip-hop, commercial rap, I'd say, because it just so happens that the rappers who labels begin to pick up in the, in the early 80s and so forth, and even now, were visibly of Afro-diasporic descent. And so hip-hop begins to be this Black thing. And... The, the thing about hip hop as a philosophy and way of life, it challenged the notions of race itself, not ethnicity, but it, but it challenges the way we understand individuals. Because looking at race as a social construct and taking that seriously. So, and when, so when KRS talks about that, there is no race in hip hop. This is what he means. And this is what, you know, this is what cool hurt me when he says, we, we wasn't worried about that, you know? And this is not saying that you lose your identity. It's saying we amplify by talking about it in different ways. So, so the, the category of race itself is challenged. That's one thing underground hip hop does. Yeah. And, 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 um, and also the fourth thing, there's a mechanism of critique against structures of power that's encoded into it. So now that so so that's one thing that I think happens is, and I and, and I will say this in closing this part of it. Um, as I as I said, underground hip hop is a is a place that that is not in a physical location. So in in this conceptual location sometime close into what we might call the mainstream. Because I'm gonna say that outcasts are underground rap. I'm gonna say that some of Common's records are underground rap. I'm gonna argue that some of Cypress Hill's work is underground rap. Um, some of Queen Latifah's work is underground rap because it fulfills those four things I talked about. Right. And that's the way I see it. 
other, other people may, may, may differ, but for me, that's how I see. It. Yeah. No, I, I love that idea of how you said that there's not one location. Cause it reminds me of, well, it's an event, you know, it's, Man. it's an event and, and hip hop is an event in that sense. And one of the other things I noticed is you were, you know, drawing out this, um, this depiction of, of hip hop culture was the notion of identity and, um, and the notion of becoming and the notion of how uh, hip hop allows for almost uh, embodies in a sense, like the event of, of an, uh, an identity of becoming. And uh, it was funny when you were saying earlier, talking about actual entity, I thought, well, oh, actual identity is basically what we're talking about here. You know what I mean? Good. And like, Good. and I might steal that from you. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. But, you know, so in that sense, what what is it about, you know, the religion of, of underground rap that encourages an actual identity in that sense that that's that that offers somebody the chance to sort of and you use this image in the book to like recreate themselves or to give an alter ego or alternative identity that again is this a sort of liberative thing so so i'm curious for you like why that notion of identity is so crucial as it relates to the religion of underground rap mm-hmm Mm-hmm. It's it's in, it's important in, in a few ways, and I think the main the main way, or, or one of the main two, is this notion of colonial race. Of I mean, that's a that's a very big thing. The other thing is the notion of creating oneself in such a way that one can 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 affect change in the world. Now, those two things are related in some ways, and something sometimes they can be talked about distinct, but I'll start with the race piece first. Um, you know, and maybe this comes from my own background. I mean, my, my, my mother's family is from, well, my, well, my mother's from Chicago. My mother born in Chicago. She's born in Chicago. Her family's from Mississippi and Arkansas. So, so um, my, my, grand, my grandparents moved from moved from the south from Clarksville, Mississippi to Chicago. Um, and I want to say a long time ago. I don't, I don't know exactly I, 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 I when, but but that's that's that side, um, southern roots, and ways that my that both of my grandparents um, illustrate very interesting in very interesting ways, you know. Um, and then my father's side of the family is from Honduras and, and uh, Belize. So um so there, there's also that Central American Caribbean experience that I have. Um, yeah. And looking at hip hop as a way of life that comes in many ways from the Caribbean, not only the Caribbean, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna argue it comes from Greece, Australia, China, Japan. But in many ways, the founders we can look at and we see that they are, they are of Caribbean descent. There was in Puerto Rico, Cuba, Jamaica, where Cool Herc was from, Barbados, where um, Bambada's family was from, et cetera. Um, Dominican Republic, a lot of places. Um, there, is this, there is this thing about identity that, 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 I, that I think is induced into the culture because the people who are making it are from, are from all these different places. And so hip hop in its inception, it defies notions of categorical race you know it and it it causes us to ask questions about 
what those even mean. And so, so when, when hip hoppers push back and say, I'm not a race, I'm hip hop, they're not, they're not saying that, they're not denying their ethnicity. They're actually embracing it because their ethnicity is what makes hip hop. Right. Their race, their, their race does not. So, so, um, so to look at a person as a black, white, Latino, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, African American, these are categories that we've been given. So hip hop in many ways, and, and if you go to an underground hip hop show, the, Afro, the Afro-normativity that you might think you're gonna see is not there. You know, it's, it's, it's not. And, and people understand the world in very different ways. And this allows people I've seen to talk in ways that it, it gives them a vantage point from which to talk about these issues of, of race, identity, and allow people to reimagine themselves outside of them. Because this is what this whole thing I talk about, multiracialness gives you the ability to do, I think. I think that's what hip hop does. And so there's, there's that piece. There's also the piece about create, creating the world. And, um, and I think this is a very religious aspect in that, I, in that, in that in these alter ego moments, um, you know, the, the, the superhero type thing, which is kind of what happens, there's some, and, and, and see, I know this as an artist. See, my, my artist's name is Gilead Seven. I'm with a crew called Tomorrow Kings. Now, John and Gilead are different people. They're the same, but they're different. Because people have told me, I didn't recognize you on stage. You're a different person. You know, there's a certain thing you step into yeah. when you have this alter ego identity. Yeah. You know, um, because there are certain things Gilead can do that John can't do. And, and, there are ways in, and there are ways that reshaping the world happens in the alter ego moment. Not in the moment of what my parents call me. Respect to them. But, but there's something <laughs> different about that mode. And I, and I think that's very important. And because underground hip hop in many ways focuses on this creativity, this alter ego moment is very, very important because in this creativity, we, we reshape the world. We challenge notions of sexuality, hmm. gender, race, nationality, um, foreign policy. Um, we create worlds where those things don't exist yeah. in, the, in the realm of art. And we, because it's, it's, it's very, very much like Afrofuturism in ways and different types of futurism. Um, let's imagine a world where these things, where these problems we have aren't issues. Octavia Butler, she's not really worried about, in her Afrofuturism, she's not really worried about defining characters by their race. She's like, well, why do we have to define ourselves by that? You know, so I think that hip hop in many ways, this alter ego moment is where we do that sort of work. Yeah. Oh, I I love that. I mean, yeah, I think that what one of the things that that resonated for me when I encountered process thought was the non-duality of it, you know, and I think part of our what we would talk about when we talk about categorization in general is binarying. You know what I mean? Is compartmentalizing is trying to draw draw boundaries, which is inevitably just binds us up. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I I think that I I see you mostly quoting people like Catherine Keller and Roland Faber, but people who are are talking about in slash difference are talking about, 
you know, this right. idea of keeping a place for becoming rather than trying to abstract something and concretize it, you know? And so, so I, I love that idea because it, it offers us a way beyond the binaries, you know, and especially mm -hmm. in terms of conversations around intersectionality and identity here in 2020, I mean, we need, we need good philosophies of, of identity, you know? Um, and, and so I'm not surprised that, you know, process offers up those categories. Um, but, you know, again, I'm sure we could talk about that for a while, but, but this yeah. idea of multi-racelessness and how you situated that within underground uh, hip hop and underground rap is, is, uh, is really, really just, I think a really uh, amazing embodied example of it for today. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, one of the things I want to make sure that we visit in this conversation is your definition of theopoetics too. So, so tell me what yeah. you mean when you say theopoetics. That's a great question. Cause everybody means something different. That's a great question. Cause you know, cause, cause I mean something different than you mean and then, uh, then, then Catholic means then uh, Caputo means and yeah. So that's, right. that's cause you, you can never say what it is. You know, but but um, but yeah, I mean, for for me, I'll, especially for this work in particular, um, theopoetics for me and this work is it's it's very very humanist. If that and that may come out later in, in later parts of the text, um, I'm looking at theopoetics as human gods creating. You know, because um. And, and I, I sort of pull this from a Whiteheadian perspective, um, you know, um, theopoetics theo for, and, and I'll, give, I'll give that and I'll give my general definition in a second. But in terms of this text, theopoetics is the underground rapper as a god creating poetry of the world. Not, not inventing, but synthesizing. So the underground, because I always say this about words, um, the poet, the writer, et cetera, the theologian, the philosopher, in terms of words, creates nothing. They're only as good as the ability to synthesize what's already been created and what, and what actually was never created, what we think was created and what is simply in process. The, the, the terms that we use to concretize or what, or what Fiverr might say, snapshots of the world. The, the, writer, whatever they're writing, is only as good as their ability to do that. So, um, so I, look at, I look at theopoetics as tangible deities using words or whatever to reimagine. So, 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 so for the purpose of the book, that's what I mean. But in, in terms of a more general definition, um, for me, theopoetics is the form of talking about what's most important. Um, for some, it might be God. For some, it might be social justice. For some, it might be water. For some, it might be air. Whatever is most important, theopoetics is a way of talking, is the form of talking about that. Not the content, but the form of talking about what is, what, what Anthony Penn might say is a center of significance. How do you talk about centers, centers, of, centers of significance? Hmm. And religious moments. Hmm. So for me, theopoetics is the form of how that takes place. Yeah, I mean, so I'm hearing it's almost like inherently discursive in that sense, or yeah. inherent, inherently creative, inherently uh, evocative, and and uh, yeah, I love that. And and I think that 
you know, when we talk about these kinds of things, when we, when we have, I mean, our conversation is itself a theopoetic event, you know, when we, yeah. when we discuss this, like, there's something that, that is uh, almost like a surplus or overflowing in the generativity of a conversation like this, that is where the life is. And, and I hear that in your, in your aesthetic understanding of religion. I hear that in your definition of theopoetics. I hear that in your, in your love and embodiment of underground rap. And I think that, that, um, you know, one of the things I, I often come back to in this work and in these conversations on the podcast is how, how vital and necessary this kind of generativity is, this kind of life bearing, you know what I mean? And so, uh, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate your work and, and appreciate you, uh, you know, enlivening the conversation around religion and, and giving us some, some new pathways to, you know, to, and some new possibilities even to, uh, to think about it. And, and so, um, you know, before we, we close here, I, I just wanted to say like, um, that what I hear also in your, you know, your theologizing about it and your, this divinizing move that you do in talking about gods and goddesses and, and uh, even non-binary expressions of that, like, um, could you, could you give us like just, um, you know, a, a depiction perhaps before we, before we close the conversation of, of like what it is meant for you to personally to, to divinize and for you to see, you know, friends of yours, connections of yours in the underground rap and hip hop movement uh, to, to move to that place of empowerment. Mm -hmm. You know, in a, in a word, it's been creatively transformative to pull from cop. Like it's been, it's been to, to, to see people and see, and see the, the, the thing about it is I've, you know, I've toured, um, I've, I've done, records that have been distributed nationally internationally in like the indie circuits and things like that um and, I, and i've ha had a chance to see what not my because my own work i think not just my own work but i've had the chance to see how this this sort of god breathed talk from people i know very closely has changed lives you know and his and his and his really I've seen people leave the rap show the same way they may leave a charismatic Pentecostal church service. Not just, but see, not just caught up in a euphoria, but inspired to really rethink how they're living life. And, and I mean, I've seen, and see, I think the community of hip hop itself is the result of that. You know, Africa Bambada said, you know, after going, after going to Africa, um, and having a transformative experience, he comes now being, being the leader of one of the, one of the main figures in a gang called the Black Spades in the Bronx. He comes back at that and says, you know what? We got to stop killing each other. We have to, and so instead of doing this, why don't we find ways to compete in the arts? And this is the same sort of transformative move I've seen at hip hop shows with my friends. You know, when I've seen them, I mean, I, I mentioned some in the book, Phantom Threat, Sketch 185, Milo. Um, there's several, Armand Hammer, the list can go on. Several, several, several prominent names in the underground indie rap scene. They've said things that have made people really, really reimagine living. And, and, and that's powerful. That's, that for me is a great takeaway. If you can 
do that at a rap show. Let me go there and not to church. <laughs> yeah. You know, let Absolutely. me do that. So, I mean, for, for me, this divinizing of the human, a very humanistic move that still involves theology, because for me, theology is really a creative expression about energy that we consider divine, significant, of ultimate concern to use Tillich, et cetera. So if theology is that, then I think that what these people are doing has to be talked about as theology and mm-hmm. as theopoetics, as a lived theopoetic. So for me, that's what it's meant. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's leave it with that because I, I mean, I can't think of off the top of my head of a more powerful you know, definition of religion. I mean, I think that's what it, the way it's supposed to function, the way it's supposed to bind. And so, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. And, uh, and, uh, before we, before we leave though, uh, can you tell people where they can keep up with your work, where they can find your book, your, your music, everything? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, thanks again. Once again, thank you for having me on Tim. I really did. This was a great discussion. Loved it. Loved it. Um, in terms of my stuff, um, the book is the, the book is through Rutledge. Um, it's it's available on the site now. It's expensive as hell. Like you know, so so I would encourage people to if you're interested in seeing a physical copy, tell your college, university, library, or, or your local libraries to order it because that's because you, you can do that. They can do that. And, um, um, and it's also an e copy, which is less which is less expensive. There will be a paperback coming out within the year. I'm told, which will be which will be more affordable for people on budgets like me, because I because I, I mean because I'm just shit. I wouldn't buy it either. Like, like you know like yeah, like, yeah. like but, yeah. so the paperback is coming, but the e copy is fairly affordable. Oh, it's 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 it's, 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 it's really not too bad at all. So that's an option as well. So I would appreciate it if you pick that up. Um, music stuff. I'm in a crew called Tomorrow Kings, as I mentioned. Um, you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, Tomorrow Kings. Um, Gilead Seven is my MC name, G-I-L-E-A-D Seven. You can search that. Um, I have several projects that, that, that are that are from CD to vinyl to digital format and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so you, you, you can find me there. Um, it's Gilead Seven on Twitter, Facebook, everything like that. Spotify, Instagram, um, physical records and shit like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Awesome, John. Well, thanks again for taking the time out of your day to come have this conversation. And uh, thanks again for your work in the world. And I I sense when I talk with you, like this exuberance and power and and joy. And so thank you for bringing that into the world and for giving us uh, a wonderful invitation to, uh, to live in that same mode. Um, and, uh, let's talk again sometime soon. I'd love it. All right, Tim. Thank you so much. Right, bro. It's been a blast. No problem, John. We'll do it again soon. Okay. We'll stay up. Peace, man. Yeah, peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Theopoetics podcast. If you like what you heard here, you can log on to iTunes, Google play Stitcher, or any other podcast platform and subscribe and leave us a rating. You can also follow along with John's work by grabbing his new book, following him on social media, or searching out his music through Tomorrow Kings and Gilead 7 on CD, vinyl, and other digital formats. You can also keep up with us on social media at at TheopoeticsCast, or tweet at me at at TD Burnett. Also, don't forget to check out our sponsors, ARC, 
and their upcoming Theopoetics Conference by heading to theopoeticsconference.org and using the discount code APOETICSOF for 10% off your registration. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Burnett. Love wisdom, create beauty, and make peace, everyone.